Evidence and Answers. Since Roe v. Wade, over 50 million abortions have been performed in the United States alone. Is this a freedom of choice issue, or is this the taking of a life? If life begins in the womb, we are guilty of one of the largest mass murders in the history of the world. When does life begin? And what does the evidence say? You are listening to Evidence and Answers with your host, Patrick Zucrin. Pat is an author and teacher in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Join Pat today as he addresses the issue of abortion and the right to life. This seminar was given at a recent conference in the country of the Philippines. This entire message, along with other messages and interviews with top Christian scholars, is available at evidenceandanswers.org. Let's join Pat now as he presents his seminar titled, Abortion, Freedom of Choice, or the Right to Life. Well, good afternoon, and thank you for being here. We're covering an important topic here, the topic of abortion. Is abortion about the freedom of choice or the right to life? And if it is a right to life issue, if we are indeed killing a living human being, then we are, in my home country of the United States, we bring upon ourselves the indictment and judgment of God for since the passing of Roe versus Wade, we would have been guilty of murdering over 50 million babies. So it's a tremendously important topic to understand. And as you struggle over the issue here in the Philippines, it's tremendously important that Christians be able to present a powerful case for the right to life and why we stand against abortion. Now, everything that we're covering here, you can find all the information on our radio show website, evidenceandanswers.org. And there you can find some powerful interviews of women who have had the tragedy of having abortions, but not only the pain and suffering that it caused them, but also the triumph in receiving God's forgiveness through that whole experience. And also there's a powerful testimony of a woman, Suzanne Maurer, who was raped and as a result of the rape, got pregnant. It's a powerful story how she chose life and eventually a powerful story of the son that was the product of this rape and the healing and the triumph that God produced out of this tragic situation. It's a powerful, powerful story. So some great resources of testimonies and articles for you there at evidenceandanswers.org and at our website of the Pacific Apologetics Center, of which I am the director. You can find articles and information at pacificapologetics.org. So some great resources for you there. Well, as we begin, I want to present some disturbing statistics we find here from the Gutenberg Research Institute here on abortion. And these statistics go by continent. Now, on the continent of Africa, it is estimated that 33% of pregnancies end in abortion, which amounts to 5 million abortions a year. On the continent of Asia, 33% of pregnancies end in abortion, which estimate 26.8 million abortions are performed a year there on the continent of Asia. And this one is quite disturbing. On the continent of Europe, 48%, that's nearly half 
of all pregnancies end in abortion, which means about 8 million abortions are performed a year. In Latin America, 37% of pregnancies end in abortion. That's about 4.2 million abortions are performed a year. And in North America, which includes my home country of the United States and Canada, 22% of pregnancies end in abortion, and that's an estimated 1.5 million abortions are performed a year. Now, when we look at these other statistics, these are abortion rates by country. And my home country of the United States, 25% of pregnancies end in abortion, which is equivalent to 1.3 million abortions a year. In the country of England and Wales, 20% of pregnancies end in abortion. That's 168,000 abortions a year. In the nation of Germany, 14% of pregnancies end in abortion. That's about 131,000 abortions a year. In the nation of Hungary, and this is quite surprising and disturbing, 40% of pregnancies end in abortion. That's about 77,000 abortions a year. And in the nation of China, where they have the one-child policy, about 30% of pregnancies end in abortion. That's equivalent to 8 million abortions a year. In Australia, 26% of pregnancies end in abortion. That's about 92,000 abortions a year. And in this country here, the Philippines, according to Reuters magazine in an article that came out in 2007 called Abortion in the Philippines, a National Secret, since abortion is not legal here in this country yet, although there are bills that are trying to be introduced to legalize abortion, it is estimated that there are about 500,000 illegal abortions performed a year here in the Philippines. That's about half a million abortions performed each year. So those are some disturbing statistics from around the world. Now, historically, the vast majority of cultures, even from ancient times, have stood against the practice of abortion. Civilizations such as the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Sumerians, and the Hittites considered abortion a serious crime. For example, in the Assyrian Code of Hammurabi, it states, If a man strikes a woman with child, causing her fruit to depart, he shall pay ten shekelim for her loss of child. If the woman should die, he who struck the blow shall be put to death. The ancient historian Josephus, writing in the first century AD, the Jewish historian, he wrote against abortion and he stated this, the law has commanded to raise all children and prohibited women from aborting or destroying seed. A woman who does shall be judged a murderess of children, for she has caused the soul to be lost and the family of man to be diminished. And in the early church, it was quite clear the early church fathers clearly condemned abortion. The writer of the Didache, it means the teaching of the Twelve Apostles, this writing, we don't know who authored it, but it came about in the 2nd century A.D. And it states, Do not murder a child by abortion or kill a newborn infant. Clement of Alexandria, writing in the 2nd century A.D., in his writing states this, 
Our whole life can proceed according to God's perfect plan only if we gain dominion over our desires. Practicing continence from the beginning instead of destroying through perverse and pernicious arts human offspring who are given birth by divine providence. Those who use abortive medicines to hide their fornication cause not only the outright murder of the fetus, but of the whole human race as well. The great theologian and philosopher Augustine, writing in the 4th century AD, he wrote this, Sometimes this lustful cruelty or cruel lust comes to this, that they even procure poisons of sterility, and if these do not work, they extinguish and destroy the fetus in some way in the womb, preferring that their offspring die before it live, or if it was already alive in the womb, to kill it before it was born. And so ancient civilizations, the Jewish nation, the Old Testament law, and the early church outlawed abortion. They were clearly against the practice of abortion. And in my home country of the United States, there were laws against abortion in effect in the United States until 1967, when few states began to allow abortion. Well, by the end of 1970, 18 states had passed statutes to allow abortion. And then uh, in January of 1973, Roe versus Wade was passed and allowed abortion on demand and since 1973 there have been over 50 million aborted infants in the United States that approximately is 4,000 abortions a day are performed in the United States well when it comes to the abortion issue pro-abortion groups state that it's a freedom of choice issue. Well, what do we mean by freedom of choice? Well, let's take a look at the abortion procedures. And this may get a little detailed, and hopefully you could stomach this, but how it is that abortions are performed. Well, the first procedure is called dilation and curettage, or DNC. And this is one of the most popular procedures here. The physician dilates the cervix, which allows the insertion of a curate. Pictured here, this loop-shaped knife into the womb. So here you have an oval-shaped kind of blade here that's inserted into the womb. The instrument is used to scrape the placenta from the uterus and cut the baby apart. Then the body parts are pulled out and reassembled by the nurse to make sure all the parts have been removed. And I can see by your expression here, a very disturbing kind of procedure. But that's what we mean by freedom of choice here. This is the abortion process here, the abortion procedures that are performed here. So DNC is the most popular procedure, the most common one that is performed. The second is suction aspiration. This procedure is used for about 80% of abortions up to the 12th week. And in this one here, a hollow tube with a knife like edge tip is inserted into the womb. So you can see here a tube is inserted into the womb and there is a tube there which sucks out uh, parts of the fetus. Now, a suction force of 28 times stronger than a vacuum cleaner 
tears the baby to pieces as the embryo is sucked into a container. The third procedure here is called saline injection and poisoning. It's one of the most common methods used in the second trimester. And in this procedure, a strong salt solution is injected through the mother's abdominal wall into the amniotic fluid surrounding the baby. The baby breathes and swallows the solution, causing internal poisoning and burning. And in a few hours, the unborn baby dies from poisoning, dehydration, and hemorrhaging. The mother then goes into labor and about a day later gives birth to a dead or dying baby. The next procedure is called prostaglandin. It uses the prostaglandin hormones that are injected into the womb. This causes contraction and the child is delivered prematurely. Often a saline solution is injected into the womb first killing the baby in order to make the procedure less distressful for the mother and the medical staff. And then we have dilation and evacuation. This is used after the 12th week of pregnancy and in this procedure the doctor dilates the uterus and then uses forceps to reach in and grab the baby in the womb. He dismembers the body and then crushes the skull and removes the fetus. The rest of the parts are removed by suction or a sharp instrument. Next we have hysterotomy. It's similar to a cesarean section. This procedure is usually done in the last three weeks of pregnancy. Doctors open the womb, surgically remove the baby, and the infant is removed and killed. And finally, we have one of the most barbaric procedures here, dilation extraction, or also known as partial birth abortion. And in this one, the doctors dilate the cervix and they pull the body of the infant out, except for the forehead. The doctors then insert scissors into the skull and suck out the brains. The head collapses and the baby is brought out dead. And this procedure has been outlawed in several countries. I believe also in the United States. The American Medical Association has stated that this procedure is never a necessary procedure here. So this is what we mean when we talk about freedom of choice. These are the abortion procedures that are performed. Now I can tell by a lot of your expressions here that it's very disturbing as I describe these and just in the, the little detail that I have. And a lot of these procedures when they are performed You'll hear a lot of the testimonies on evidence and answers. The women are lying down and there is a sheet that is placed you know, above their chest so they can't see what's going on below. And that hopefully relieves them you know, of seeing the whole process and feeling any sense of guilt through what is going on. But these are the procedures that are used in abortions here. Now, there's several good reasons why we should stand against abortion and stand for the right to life. Now, the key question is, when does life begin? You know, does life begin once the baby leaves the womb or does life begin much earlier than that? And there's several good arguments 
that show that life begins at conception. It begins in the womb. There's several good lines of argument here. Let's first take a look at the biblical arguments. When does life begin? According to the Bible, life begins at conception. Psalm 139 states, David writes this, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So when David was developing as a fetus in the womb, God's care was already upon him. States here, your eyes saw my unformed body. And it shows that God knew David and was developing a relationship with David before he was known by others, while he was still in the womb. Psalm 51, this is the great confession of David after the murder of Uriah the Hittite and his adultery with Bathsheba. And upon his confession of sin, he writes this, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Now, how is it that he was sinful from the time his mother conceived him? How is that possible? The fetus in the womb hasn't done anything yet. How is it that he says that I was sinful at birth? Well, what it shows you is that the fetus has a sin nature. In other words, while it's in the womb, it is a living soul. The sin nature implies the embryo is a living soul. So there's a powerful verse there that shows you life begins in the womb. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5. When God is speaking to the prophet, Jeremiah says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now the word know there, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. It talks in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word there is yada, and it's talking about an intimate relationship there. It's often used of a husband and a wife. And so in the womb, God knows the child, has a relationship with the child. Well, how can God have a relationship unless that is a living person there in the womb? Now, in Luke chapter 1, the unborn child demonstrates mental and spiritual capacity here. So it shows that in the womb, we have a living human being here. When Elizabeth was miraculously, you know, in her old age, she was pregnant with Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist. And Mary, of course, goes to visit Elizabeth. And upon Mary's arrival, it says here, in a loud voice, she, Elizabeth, exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ear, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So you see here, the baby in the womb, the fetus, has mental and spiritual capacity here. And then in the Old Testament law, for example, Exodus 21, there are laws made to protect the unborn child. 
Exodus chapter 21 verses 22 through 25 states, If men who are fighting hit a pregnant woman and she gives birth prematurely but there is no serious injury, the offender must be fined whatever the woman husband demands and the court allows. But if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. See, killing an unborn baby carries the same penalty as killing a born baby. The baby in the womb had the same legal rights as any individual. So we have good biblical arguments that state that life begins in the womb. It begins at conception. We also have good medical arguments as well that life begins in the womb. First, at conception, the embryo is genetically distinct from the mother. See, the embryo is not another part like the appendix, as many women are told in the abortion clinics. It is a separate and individual person. A developing embryo is also different from the sperm and egg that created it. And geneticists would not be able to distinguish between the DNA of an embryo and that of an adult. So what we have growing in the mother is another individual distinct from the mother. Also we know, according to the American Medical Association, that heartbeat defines life as well. Death is defined as the cessation of a heartbeat. And if so, the detection of a heartbeat is a sign of life. And the embryo's heart beats and can be heard by the 18th day. Also, according to the American Medical Association, brainwave activity defines life as well. An EEG meter measures brainwave activity. A cessation of brainwave activity is another indication that someone has died. So if this is the case, then the onset of brainwave activity signifies life. And brainwave activity can be detected on about the 40th day. So a little after, a month after conception, you can detect brainwave activity. Also, the fetus does sense pain. Dr. A.W. Lilly, a professor of fetal psychology at the National Women's Hospital in Auckland, New Zealand, demonstrated that an 11-week-old fetus or a fetus even as young as 8 weeks old can sense pain and respond to touch. Now she did this by showing on a closed circuit TV that when a fetus is pricked with a pin in the hand, it pulls its hand away and opens its mouth, responding to pain. Doctors were also able to detect a change in the heart rate. So the child feels great pain in the abortion procedure. And finally, not only does the fetus feel pain, there is also devastating effects to the mother, those who go through abortion. Now, perhaps the largest and most definitive analysis of the mental health risk associated with abortion was published on September 1st in the prestigious British Journal of Psychiatry here. Here, a study conducted by Priscilla Coleman of Bowling Green State University 
and the analysis examines 22 studies published between 1995 and 2009 involving close to 900,000 women and of whom 163,000 had abortions. And the findings angered those in the abortion industry. Here's some quotes from the findings here by Priscilla Coleman. She states that women who have had an abortion have an 81% higher risk of subsequent mental health problems compared to women who have not had an abortion. She goes on to state, women who aborted have a 138% higher risk of mental health problems compared to women who have given birth. She also states, women who aborted have a 55% higher risk of mental health problems compared to women with an unplanned pregnancy who gave birth. And she also states, women with a history of abortion have higher rates of anxiety, depression, alcohol use or misuse, marijuana use, and suicidal behavior compared to those who have not had an abortion. This concludes part one of Pat's message on abortion and the right to life. If you missed any part of Pat's message, log on at evidenceandanswers.org and you can listen to this entire presentation and enjoy other great resources right there on the site. Pat's ministry relies on the generous donations from you, our listeners. If you've been blessed by Pat's teaching, please support him in prayer and with a financial gift by logging on at evidenceandanswers.org. I hope you'll be with us next week as Pat presents part two of his message on abortion and the right to life. Join us right here for more Evidence and Answers. Evidence and Answers.